welcome to Innovate Podcast, giving voice to socially conscious and forward-thinking leaders and organizations within the nonprofit, education, culture, philanthropy, and social entrepreneurship sectors. Here's your host, Robert Rim. Planet Word is the world's first voice-activated museum with interactive galleries and exhibits that bring words and language to life in all sorts of fun ways, inspiring and renewing a love of language and reading in people of all ages. Through unique immersive learning experiences, they provide a dynamic space to explore words grounded in a solid understanding of language arts and science. Whether sign, spoken, written, or song, language connects us and directly shapes some of our most significant moments, reflecting who we are, how we interact with one another, and how we interpret our world. Ann Friedman is the founder and CEO of Planet Word and has been integral to the restoration of the Franklin School, the museum's home. Her interest in literacy began with a lifelong love of reading and early work as a copy editor and translator, with a subsequent career as a beginning reading and writing teacher in the Montgomery County Public School System. From 2010 to 2016, she served as board chair of the Seed Foundation, the parent of the nation's only public inner-city college prep boarding schools, where she currently serves as vice chair. Anne is founding member of the Downtown DC Foundation, co-vice chair of the Aspen Music Festival and School, and has served on the board of the National Symphony Orchestra for more than a decade in various roles. She and her husband, Thomas Friedman, the New York Times foreign affairs columnist, live in Bethesda, Maryland, and have two adult daughters. And welcome to Innovate Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Before we talk about Planet Word itself, I'm recalling at the moment the 22-year-old poet who read her work during the Biden inauguration in January. What was that moment like for you, witnessing Amanda Gorman's words? And uh, what did you feel as she shared her heartfelt thoughts with the country? I thought that she was exemplifying everything that we're about at Planet Word. The fun and the joy and the meaningful, powerful ways you can use words. And young people especially are bringing that point home. They're using words in such fun ways in rap and in spoken word poetry. And there's just a renaissance, I think, of people using language in really unique, fun ways. And I was so glad that the rest of the country got to see that because I I think that not everyone knows what's happening with language and how people are using it to such great effect. And to what do you attribute that renaissance, which, as you mentioned, it's so great to see across the board? You know, I think hip hop has a lot to do with it. That was experimenting with rhyme and words and breaking boundaries. So I think a lot of this grows out of of hip hop and rap and is also part of the social justice movement because spoken word poetry very often has a social justice theme. And so people are speaking out and using words in a revolutionary way to express their feelings. And poetry naturally is is so integral to reading. I'm thinking about the many hats you've worn throughout your career. You were for many years a reading teacher. What led you to that calling? (laughs) Well, that's kind of a long story, but 
we lived in Beirut and Jerusalem for about a decade, two cities that were divided by civil strife and misunderstanding. So I kind of vowed to myself that when we moved back to the United States, that I would do something to build community. And so that led me, my first volunteer position was teaching adults who were functionally illiterate. And then I started my own class for children, uh, sort of an extracurricular class, which led me to think, hmm, maybe I should be a real teacher. So I went back to school in my 40s to graduate school and got a master's in teaching. And then there was no decision that I had to make. I was definitely going to teach in the public schools because that's one institution that we still have in America that brings people together from diverse backgrounds. So it was, and I'm public school educated as is my husband and and our daughters. So it was really important to me to go and, and work in the public schools. And I wasn't planning to be a reading teacher. I wanted to teach older children And uh, that is what I did at first. I taught fifth grade and taught all subjects, math, science, reading, but then found it not a great mix, full-time teaching with our lifestyle and my husband's job and my kids being in middle school. So I visited a local principal and asked her, is there any part-time teaching job? And she said, well, all we have are part-time positions in reading. And so I let that go and didn't follow up on that. But she called me over the summer and said, my reading teacher is going on pregnancy leave. Would you like to interview for her position? I had, in graduate school, done a lot of courses on teaching reading. And so I was prepared. And I started doing that in uh, 2000 two and never looked back. It was the greatest job to be the first person really to teach children to love words, to love stories, to appreciate poetry, to start writing. So I got to see all that and uh, it was the best teaching job. Hmm. That's wonderful to hear, Anne. And going from that teaching job, where did the idea to create the museum first come from? So I retired, but I didn't want to let all that literacy background go to waste. And then I read a story in the New York Times about a new museum in New York City, MoMath, the National Museum of Mathematics. And they were bringing the abstract concepts of math to life through very high-tech experiences. And I went up to New York and I visited the museum I talked to the founders and I thought, this is it. This is what I should do. I could try bringing language to life through technology in a museum setting because museums are for informal learning. And I thought, if, if I can make reading cool and have awesome experiences Maybe it would sort of turn around these negative trends that we're seeing where especially young people are choosing to entertain themselves 
through other means than picking up a book and reading, which is when I grew up, that's what you did. It's certainly what we did when I grew up, and I can attribute my mother as a boy. She she gave books to to me, to my brothers when we were young and exposed us to so very much, which was and, and I still carry it with me to this day, which is wonderful. And uh, I'm thinking about the the level of support the museum has already received. It's extraordinary. Uh, in your virtual ribbon cutting video on YouTube, you featured many prominent people, including the mayor of D.C. and former President Barack Obama. What's the process been like bringing the museum to fruition? Well, first, I started by getting nonprofit status for the museum and forming a board. And the board gave me some tasks and, you know, that they wanted me to find an executive director and launch a website and find a home for the museum. That is how I came to be the developer of the restoration of the Franklin School, this 1869 National Historic Landmark building in the heart of Washington, D.C., because Museum consultants that I used told me that it would be very hard for a museum, especially a free museum, which is what I wanted to establish, to pay rent or to have a mortgage. And so I really needed to find a home for the museum that was sort of free. And so there was a proposal by the District of Columbia for bids to develop this National Historic Landmark Franklin School, which had been abandoned basically for 10 years and was full of flaking lead paint and guano from the pigeons flying in the rafters and mold, and it was not in good shape. So I decided that I would personally try to restore that building as a developer and then basically give it to the nonprofit museum as its home and and so the museum would not have to pay rent for its home and that's what happened Um, I did find a wonderful professional executive director who had been the executive director of Mopop in Seattle and uh, she was willing to come down and take a chance on a new idea. So we worked together from March of 2017. She really on the museum side at the same time as I was working as a developer uh, for the restoration of this building. We then found a fantastic partner in local projects, the exhibit design company that we hired And they worked with me and to bring the ideas that I had to life, to figure out how do you make this concept into a fun, enjoyable, meaningful museum experience. And your vision for a free museum speaks directly to accessibility. That's altogether crucial, isn't it? It sure is. And, and, you know, when you think about it, because we were occupying a former public school that was open to everybody and adding on top of that, that language belongs to all of us, I just didn't see how you could charge 
an entrance fee for a museum like that. We do have plans when we reopen after COVID fades a little bit to charge for different special events and tickets for speakers and things like that. But the museum itself has free general admission and people are really appreciative of that. And in the five weeks that we were open, we saw such a diversity of visitors, exactly what we wanted. There is no bar to coming into Planet Word because you can't afford it. That's great to hear. And the Planet Word experience begins beneath the mesmerizing speaking willow tree. Describe what it's like to stand underneath the tree's branches. Well, it's um, a sculptural tree. And from the branches are hanging 364 speakers, which are motion activated. So when someone walks under the branches laden with these dangling speakers, it triggers them to to basically murmur in a foreign language. And there are 364 of them representing 99% of the people in the world, a, a language that 99% of us speak. So you get this babble of sound. It's, um, and when no one is walking under the branches, the speaker is broadcast birdsong. So it's very beautiful and peaceful to be in there and hear either birds chirping in all different ways or little clips of language. It could be songs or just someone talking or a bit of a speech. Just really fun. And, and at the same time, LED lights twinkle in the speakers that are being activated. So the tree is lit up, it's twinkling, and it's talking to you. It's just a joyous experience. That's wonderful to hear. And you write that your approach is to show, not tell. So elaborate on that concept and, and tell us why it's so crucial. In our experiential museum, we want you to be immersed in an experience. So it's kind of ironic in a museum designed to promote reading and literacy that you will do very little reading on the walls. Instead, you'll be speaking, you'll be listening, and you'll be participating so there are words all around you, but it's not like labels or text that you have to read to experience a certain topic. So I could describe, for instance, in our gallery devoted to the origins of the English language, we built a 22-foot high, 40-foot wide word wall composed of three-dimensional individual letters that are stacked up on top of each other. And through motion and voice activation, we present a story that visitors interact with about the origins of words in English. So it's narrated, it's beautiful, there are seven projectors 
that are projecting different images across the word wall. And they bring you the stories of words that entered the English language through warfare, through the Norman invasion in 1066, portmanteau words, you know, where you smash together two words like smoke and fog to make the word smog. We have tales about words that entered the English language from other languages, you know, borrowed words from Spanish or Chinese and all those stories about how we ended up with these different words in English are your choice. The You'll hear a narrator asking you questions and then the words will light up on the word wall and you choose and shout or speak into a microphone and your word choice is picked up and it triggers how the story moves from there. So the moderator might go one way if the software picks up a visitor saying one thing and go in a different direction if it picks up a different word. It's very fun. You're really involved and it's beautiful at the same time. Mm. Sounds like that 22-foot tall wall of words literally speaks for itself, doesn't it? <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. And in the uh, in the first word exhibit, we uh, see how we come to speak our first language. So take us through the creative process. How does an exhibit like this come to fruition? Well, it starts with the kernel of an idea. And so that's what I was doing for a couple of years before I formed a board or went out looking for a building or an exhibit design company, I was just making lists of what topics do we have to cover in a museum that would be worth its salt, <laughs> that had this grandiose idea of a museum of words and language. What do we have to talk about? And what experience should people have and what should they take away from having been at the museum? Are there ideas and feelings that we want visitors to go away with? And that informed the choice of exhibits that we included in, we only have 10 galleries. So each gallery has a main immersive experience, but then we have additional supplemental exhibits that are in most of the galleries, and they are also voice activated and engaging. And so there we might cover a topic like forensic linguistics or animal communications. Do animals have language? And we've collected, with the help of experts in the various fields, we've collected video and images and written scripts to lead the visitor through that topic. And then we hope that when they leave Planet Word, that they'll have gained insight into language, but also into how they talk, have more empathy for people that they meet. And so we had six core values, and we used those core values as sort of a checklist to make sure that everything that we planned for the museum met 
our standards, that the exhibit should be fun, playful, meaningful, motivational, inclusive. Maybe not all of those things all the time, but that in general, I was looking to make sure that each exhibit met those core values, especially that it would be meaningful. We could be really silly in our human writing gallery, but there had to be an underlying reason why we were presenting information or telling a joke. Maybe it's because we wanted to point out how good English is for joke making because of all the homophones in English. That's sort of the thinking behind and you talk about fun and, and being playful. When we talk about the importance of words, it's sometimes easy to miss the lighter side, but not for your museum. Uh, tell us about the Joking Around exhibit and, uh, <laughs> and why it's included in your offerings. Well, just like I just was saying, you know, English lends itself to jokes because of how many homophones we have and how much double meaning there can be. So... We have a, an experience where two people can tell each other jokes that we've collected. They're sort of dad jokes. They're groaners. <laughs> and you get a point if you make uh, the other person laugh. And it's just great to be in the museum when people are in there because you're hearing laughter all around you. And... Then also in that same gallery, we have a, a selfie wall. Um, we have props that we had made that are idioms. And you they're big, big props that somebody could hold up and have someone else guess what they're representing, which, which idiom. And you're framed by a sort of a, a hole in this selfie wall, which is just perfect for having your picture taken, holding up the prop. So, for instance, we have a large prop of a cow, and it's full of holes. And you can't even stick your head behind one of those. And so, you know, can you guess from my description what idiom, what phrase that prop is, is prompting you? about um it's the expression holy cow yes (laughs) yes indeed (laughs) ah and there's there's even a section giving visitors the ability to use a teleprompter and deliver a famous speech what a treasure of an idea uh, as it gets to how we not only deliver words uh, but how that delivery can lift the words off the page and make a moment truly extraordinary what's that experience like Anne? We have a montage wall of people delivering these famous speeches that we chose deliberately because they illustrate techniques of rhetoric and persuasion that we want to show to our visitors. And so they hear little snippets of these famous speeches and they see the techniques that have been used and then they can go into a recording area and read that segment of the speech from a teleprompter and send a 
a video of them delivering this speech to themselves. Hmm. And it's actually been interesting. We're, we're keeping track of what is very popular and that oratory gallery, Lend Me Your Ears, has been one of the most popular galleries that we have. And maybe it's because of the time right now when politics is so much with us, but everyone is just, they love giving these speeches and, and some are from movies. So the most popular one is um, Mufasa from The uh-huh. Lion King. Uh-huh. And, and that's accessible to our younger visitors. That could be why. But the second most popular speech is Obama's 2004 speech to the Democratic National Convention when he was nominating John Kerry. That could also be because we're in Washington and we have a really diverse population that's coming through. But everything that we've done in the museum, we've tried to have that diversity of voices so that whoever comes to Planet Word sees themselves represented in the books we've chosen, in the poetry we've chosen, the songs, the speeches, you name it. And in thinking about that diversity, there are 32 million adult Americans who can't read. That devastating statistic fuels much of what you do, especially the community outreach. Uh, Tell us about that outreach and why it's central to the museum's basic tenets. Well, not everyone is going to come to the Franklin School and to Planet Word in its physical space. So we're trying to think about other ways that we can achieve our mission, you know, through book distribution to underserved children so far, virtual field trips that we've had demand from language schools that cater to adult English language learners. So we're just starting out, but we want to find ways to go beyond the walls and bring our message to a wider audience. And does that directive include uh, online programs? Yes, we have a growing array of really great online programs. You know, when I started out, I thought what was key was this building and a museum and bringing people there to use their words together and so I was very much settled on what we're doing should be grounded in the museum. But then came COVID and it was really impossible to achieve our mission if we just waited for people to visit the museum. And so I was convinced um, by my board and my staff that we needed to go beyond the walls and offer a wide array of virtual programs. And I was persuaded and we have started offering wonderful online programs and virtual field trips to now well over a thousand students in just three months. 
So they are tied to our exhibits and, you know, our belief about language and usually rather fun and playful, um, but um, they're virtual. That's great to hear on multiple fronts. And uh, Anne, as you're talking, I'm thinking uh, about what's ahead for Planet Word. We also look forward to returning to normal life with the vaccines at hand and the Biden administration's devotion to inclusion and positive social impact. Uh, So what is, in fact, ahead uh, for the museum over the next couple of years? Well, first, we'll get those doors open again. And then we've got, uh, we have a restaurant that will be opening at Planet Word. And it's the second of a planned chain of restaurants called Immigrant Food that celebrates the gifts of immigrants to American cuisine. And it so aligns with what we're doing at Planet Word. I mean, if you think about how words came into the English language from all sorts of other countries and cultures, we're paralleling that idea in the restaurant that will be in Planet Word. And and I'm very excited about that. It should be opening in the spring. And also, we are going to be opening a word sleuthing adventure village, uh, mystery village. We have commissioned a game designing company in Seattle to come up with a whole gallery where you're solving word puzzles. And it will be built out as an environment to look like a village. And the puzzles will send you from one shop to the other or to a university or a park. So all of those areas, spaces will be created in this one gallery. And uh, we think that there are a lot of people like yourself (laughs) uh, who love playing with words and word games and puzzles. And so we can't wait for that to open, which will also be in the spring. And it's called Lexicon Lane. And then we'll get people back into the museum in the auditorium where we've never had a program in there yet. Uh, But we always plan to have speakers and authors and poetry slams and contests and anything you can imagine. So that's to come. And I'm just looking forward to the day when we can use all our spaces as intended, but, you know, designed to bring language to life and to the community. And from Lexicon Lane to the restaurant, I can't wait to see that menu, Anne. (laughs) (laughs) The menu is already exists because the menu is determined by immigrant food, but they're designing a bar top that will have words of immigrants embedded in the bar top. So there will be little references to the museum in the restaurant itself, but we won't be dictating the menu items to them. I wish that was in my original idea. I 
thought we would have our own restaurant that we would run and we would have synonym buns and pasta present and perfect. But uh, <laughs> that was before I found out the realities of running a restaurant. <laughs> uh, using words in kaleidoscopic ways. Well, I'm thinking of accessibility, of diversity, of community outreach. Uh, of the beauty and wonder of words and language. Well, on these crucial notes, listeners can find out more online at planetwordmuseum.org and on social media. And all the best to you and the entire Planet Word team with your inspiring work that directly speaks to so many people, families, and communities. Thank you. This has been a great opportunity to tell everyone about Planet Word. Thank you for joining us today. Our library of interviews and a range of further resources are available at our website, innovatepodcast.org. Innovate is produced in partnership with Ashoka, Innovators for the Public, the Kellogg Fellows Leadership Alliance, the Philadelphia Social Innovations Journal, and by Arch Street Press. For PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, this has been Innovate. Innovate.